As teachers, we are known for being a jack or Jill of all trades. That's Laura. And that's Tony. On this podcast, we will introduce you to a master of one. A podcast that unpacks educational research so you can use it in your classroom today. On this episode, we are interviewing Andrew Corney. Andrew investigated how principals influence curriculum decisions in their school. He's been a teacher since 2000 and taught in a range of schools, having spent nine years teaching overseas. Since 2011, he has been working in the Inquiry Learning Program at Tauranga Bulwark Boys College, where he is a specialist classroom teacher. Andrew is a Google Certified Educator Level 1 and 2, an Apple teacher, a Google Certified Trainer and Innovator. He has uh, a lot of flash badges. He is, a, he is passionate about the purposeful use of technology in education and trying to help other teachers get the best out of these digital tools. All right, so Andrew, if you could give us 30,000 words in 30 seconds, how would you summarize and describe your thesis and dissertation? On your marks, get set, go. Yeah, great challenge. So my thesis was um, a case study of high school principals in Kuwait. So at the time, that's where I, I was working and I was really interested in the, the influence of um, the principal on curriculum decisions. So curriculum being anywhere from, you know, what textbook is chosen for the maths classroom to uh, what type of sports day are we running? What charity events are we into? So that, that really broad, um, broad range of, of what the kids experience at school. What I actually found was... It, um, it was a. It seemed to be that the biggest way that principals could influence those curriculum decisions was was a lot to do with the culture of the school and and the routines and the traditions and those type of things that they created or continued within a school. And so it was quite interesting that that wasn't that obvious to me at the time. Um, and by talking with these, you know, I had a, a sample of, of five uh, principals. Um, in Kuwait, and, and I was just an aspiring um, head of secondary, so it was really interesting to hear that, that those type of um, undefinables, I suppose, or, or unquantifiables, were actually things that made the biggest difference. And just to add to that, what, why Kuwait? Why was that the, was that where you were living at the time, or...? Uh, yeah, so um, my wife and I were newly registered teachers and we were both actually phys ed teachers and we went to this job fair and said, hey, any school got a job for two phys ed teachers and no school said uh, not two, we've got them for one. <laughs> so I looked online and here's the school that pops up in the search criteria, two phys ed vacancies. And so that's how we ended up in Kuwait. And in my third year of being a PE teacher at the school, because it was in Kuwait and it was a little bit of a circus, um, I ended up being the head of the middle high school. So um, quite a rapid rise up the, the ladder, so to speak. So um, in the American system, they, they are pretty focused on postgraduate um, degree and qualifications for um, their senior leaders. And it was just expected that if you are a, a head of a, a high school that you would have a master's degree. Wow. And so I just thought, well, if I'm going to get a master's degree, why don't I sort of do it on a topic that's going to help me be um, a more effective um, you know, leader. So yeah, that's, that's how so it came to be. So your real, 
your real drive was to improve your own practice through this masters and upskill yourself within this area. Yeah, absolutely. I was on a bit of a career uh, trajectory. I, I felt that um, I was heading to to being a principal or a head of school. That was the career path that I that I was going down, and that that the masters um, was a step along that way. So, if you could kind of boil it down, no pressure, um, to the three kind of key findings of your thesis, what would they be? Yeah, so you take out 30,000 words into three little sound bites. Yeah, well, it, it, the thing that really important was obvious um, that principals need to take care in, in what they communicate and, and, and how they role model themselves to staff. Like, for example, if a principal was always spouting on about exam results, that sends the message to staff that, hey, we've got to teach to the test and get really good results versus learning's really important. You know, we need to make sure that kids are having these wonderful learning experiences. So, so that seemed to be quite important. Um, and just that recognition that, that teachers are central in those curriculum decisions. You can have the most well-articulated written curriculum document, but if that's not being put into action in the classroom, it's pretty, um, pretty worthless. The other thing, um, third thing was that it, it seems to be that curriculum decisions are, are best informed from, from evidence-based research. And that seems to be still quite a gap. You know, here it is 15 years later and we, we don't have a lot of that evidence-based research, uh, research being used on a day-to-day -day basis or informing some of the decisions we make here in the, the school that I'm currently in, that it was a, a critical role of principals to, you know, remove excuses, to get rid of all those barriers, to basically give right. teachers the autonomy and, mm -hmm. and ability and, I guess, license to, um, to adjust. It was quite obvious. What, I remember one principal talking about that he felt his teachers were trapped in this curriculum document or trapped to this textbook. And he sort of said it with a bit of regret and you know, his challenge was to try and say, well, you don't have to teach to the textbook, you know. Um, yeah, use, use your own flavour and ideas and, and creativity. You were talking about how that, that leadership, that modelling of what you kind of value. And, um, you know, the same could be said for teachers in the classroom, right? So what you value and what you place emphasis on in the classroom is going to, you know, show the children or show the students what what you value as a teacher and what you would expect from them as well. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, like I think it's a similar relationship, isn't it? With the head of, of a school, whether that's a principal or a DP, and they work more directly with teachers. They're a little bit more removed from students, just like the teacher obviously works more directly with, with students. And I just think it comes back to those, you know, those relationships that are just so important in learning. So whether you're a teacher or whether you're a principal in the different groups of learners you have, it's, it's those relationships that are fundamental. Mm. I'm just thinking, because in New Zealand, I'm thinking about, you know, the fact that like the school has a lot of autonomy over what they teach and how they design the curriculum. It's often co-kind of constructed with the teachers. Is that the same in Kuwait or kind of, did they have a national curriculum that had to be followed? Uh, no, so these were um, international schools that I was teaching at, and there was a bit of a variety. So there was the American flavour, there was the British flavour, who had a pretty set curriculum. It was basically a, the international version of their GCSE. So senior exams, every kid in the world did the same biology exam type of thing. So really preparing kids for those assessments. Whereas the American system, and there was a, there was one international baccalaureate school um, in my cohort as well. Um, had a lot more um, flexibility. There was no national curriculum. There was no um, state curriculum that they had to implement. Uh, but it was quite interesting that it seemed to be tied a lot to textbooks. Like I'm a biology teacher. I mm. need my biology textbook to teach my biology class. 
um, so, so that was quite interesting too. And I think that was just the culture of that those American teachers had brought with them. That's what, that's how their school sort of worked back in the States. Mm. Do you think we've come far from that? Well, I think that's what, what makes New Zealand teachers so successful in the international context, because they're not tied to a particular resource. They're pretty mm. adaptable. And, and I think New Zealand teachers are pretty good at meeting learners where they are, you know, and finding out where they're at and, helping them with their next step. So yeah, it was a, it was a really good experience. Um, it was actually the school I was at. Uh, I was the head of high, well, the high school principal as the first graduating class graduated, if you like. So the school wow. was growing as it was through there. So um, I got to speak at the, uh, the graduation and that was all a really interesting experience. And, um, and also to have to design the graduation requirements I suppose you know what is actually a, a, an 18 17 18 year old what bits of knowledge do they need to be prepared for their next step so you know how much of English and how much of maths and what about the arts and so that was also a really um, um, interesting process to, to be part of because it made you you look at your own values of what you think are important and then working with with teachers and, and what as a school do we think is important for these um, for these young people and I think even now, you know, graduate profiles are being developed in primary schools so that, you know, what do we want our year sixes to leave our school with? What, what would they be recognisable as, you know, coming from our school? So, you know, people are still thinking quite critically about that graduate profile and what balance do we want of what in our students coming out? Yeah, and that's interesting too because it's more values-based, isn't it? You know, what values or dispositions do we want? Um, our students to have and I guess that mm. relates back to my thesis which was you know the, the, the big message for me or the thing that I got out of it was it was all about these uh, you know the dispositions that the principal have what, how they reinforce the culture of the school and what was important to them about about learning in a school's organization and 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 that's what we now is quite apparent particularly in the primary sector eh? we're no longer really concerned with with marks or teacher judgments or mm. curriculum levels it's those dispositions that the that, that are being developed in those students. So how did it impact on your practice, your classroom, your job, your role in that um, sort of leadership? Yeah, quite significantly, eh? Because as I say, I was a really green principal. I was only in my fourth or fifth year of teaching. So, you know, what, what did I know about running a school? And, and so I designed the study that I was going to sit down with these five principals and basically, uh, so, you know, taking notes on them. So what should I do? And um, so, so it was quite a big influence for, for the job that I was doing um, at the time. And, and just sometimes you come across those simple little, little tips like, well, how do you run your faculty meeting? Or mm. um, what's the best way you organize your meetings with parents? Um, some of those more pragmatic things um, really stick with you rather than the, the bigger, broader themes of the study. So, yeah, Systems quite a significant... structures, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was actually the, the other thing, um, just the process of going through that, you know, quite a formal process of learning, go develop a, a method, get your research methods approved, get ethics and um, forms and, and all the rest of that. And it, um, and, and later on, I actually did um, another master's paper, um, which was more of a block course. And, you know, we were asked to go over to Waikato Uni, and there was about, I think, eight of us in this, this, this block course. And, you know, sitting in this room for, we'd do four hours on a Friday and six hours on a, on a Saturday morning. And just have, developing that empathy <laughs> for learners and just sitting there thinking, man, is this what I do to my kids week in, week out? Because I, I was just going crazy, just thinking, you know, 
one, I remember one of the slideshows had like over 80 slides in it and this lecture is just going through slide by slide. So I think as well as the outcome of, of the findings of the thesis, but also the, the process of learning, I think you, you understand learning or how you learn a, a little bit better as well, which is, which is probably even as valuable, if not more. 100% agree. I think, you know, we're, especially in primary school, was from my experience, you know, we're teaching, we're trying to instill in kids, like, how do you learn? Like, let's learn to learn. And that kind of meta um, cognition can actually be really, really tough. And um, I know, you know, as a almost 30 year old that learning to learn and my own metacognition, I'm only just really coming to terms with. So... Yeah, and one of the, the earlier studies I did, because I did a, like a smaller thesis and then a larger thesis, that's how my master's degree worked. And my earlier one was on, um, you know, professional learning, you know, the, the best models for professional learnings, and again, in an international schools context. And uh, we, we're just classic in our profession, eh? Like, we are in the learning business, but when we come to learn ourselves, we do everything that we say we shouldn't do in front of students. You know, like, we lecture so teachers true. 20 minutes and... And it's one size fits all, you know, and there's not a variety of, of activities and there's no real agency or, or ownership of, of professional learning in schools. And it's like there's just real disconnect between what we want to be seen in the classroom versus what we want to have happen when we when we are learning ourselves as professionals. I truly think we, we need to start practicing more what we preach. I find in my role as, you know, a facilitator with adults and teachers that a lot of the things that work with kids work with adults once you kind of up that content and up that kind of responsibility model as well. I often think about it in terms of vulnerability as well, in terms of like, you know, we're constantly asking our kids to like sit there and attempt things that are completely foreign to them. Um, like I was working with some teachers the other day on um, binary you know, the place value system in binary and they were just getting completely overwhelmed. And I was like, every day you sit there with a bunch of kids and expect them to understand place 10, uh, you know, base 10. And because we think of it as so natural, we don't really think about the fact that it's terrifying for them. Absolutely. And nine times out of 10, when we come to teach something, we know it, right? Or we feel yeah. confident in it. We've had the time to learn it. We've got our heads around it before we even bring it to the kids. And I think, you know, the more we can be a bit more vulnerable in ourselves in our classrooms and come and be like, Hey guys, I kind of only know a little bit about this. Let's learn it together, or let's. What are we actually? What are the skills that we're doing? You know, and practicing. The more I think we can kind of break down that scary wall of like knowing everything and having to know everything and having to be great at learning first time. You know, yeah, and just also the mindset for learning. Like you know, my role now is working as basically a tech coach. You know, and trying to help mm. support teachers extend their, their their digital skills and the, the comments that you get over and over oh I'm just a dinosaur or <laughs> you know technology is not really my thing yeah but aren't you in the learning business you know so yeah. um, is that would you expect the same sort of answers from your your students oh, I'm not really a math student so you know <laughs> again we know kind of when you do a master's thesis a lot of it is just reading um, and getting deep into the literature that already exists um, so but if there were kind of two pieces of literature that you would point people to or say these are the really quintessential pieces that people need to read, um, what would they be? Yeah, tough one, eh? Because, you know, it's not really current for me. It was 15 years ago when, when I wrote my thesis. So I, yeah, I had a quick flick through the, um, the bibliography. <laughs> and it was interesting seeing some of the names that, that stuck out. You know, Hattie was in there. Obviously yeah. quite a big influence in terms of what actually works. If we look at all the research studies, that meta-analysis that he did, um, what what evidence is there? Um, 
I mean, there's a couple that I'll, I'll, I'll send you to put in the show notes. There's one by Lee and Dimmick, and they did a really neat study about um, a Hong Kong school. And so that was one of the models that I used because it wasn't just a lot of the research out there was pretty generic on either a British context or an American context. And this study was quite good for me with an international context because it was looking in Hong Kong and a mainly expat um, teacher-led school. Um, and another one I'll flip through is this guy. Uh, Day wrote a lot on about how principles sustain success. Um, and again, um, just this idea of culture and reinforcing the the routines, the traditions, the those sort of things are, are actually quite an important role for the for the principal to have. You know, despite saying you know it was fifteen years ago, and despite it being fifteen years ago, like those three key findings that you mentioned are still incredibly relevant, and people are still working so hard to make those three things happen in their schools. So um, you could say you were the pioneer of that. <laughs> oh yeah just on that you say that you know 15 years ago i was looking through my first one which again was about you know focused on ict professional development and i had a section in there about oh you know the world's changing with this 21st century learners and we're going to this knowledge economy and all these jobs are going to change and you know here we are 15 years later and really school's pretty similar eh and you know, know what we still say those messages because it's yeah. always going to be like that so how do we just keep driving forward really yeah that's the challenge. It's what makes the job interesting, eh? Absolutely. So how could a teacher, leader, principal in a classroom today implement your findings? So I guess in this case, how could a leader or principal take your findings and really, where does the rubber really meet the road for them? Well, I think probably to best answer this, um, I pulled out one of the, the quotes. It's a longer quote from, from one of the subjects that I interviewed, and this just stuck with me. So, um, yeah, bear with us as I read it out in full and, and you'll probably, you'll see why. This guy said, um, he was a principal at an American school, Harvard degree, very experienced, you know, had a lot of respect for him as an educator. You as a principal are like a tribal leader. You're like a cultural leader and you are establishing a culture. You have certain symbols that you must work with. I mean, you know, certain things like the language of your school and the tone. And, and these are conscious things. And I make a point of trying to dress well and, and present a good appearance. I mean, I'm a slob really in private life, but I go out and publicly present myself and I want to say this school is a classy place. And I expect you to be classy. I insist that my people come on time, not because I dock them or anything like that, but because we are mutually agreed upon this. So I think the most important task I do is lead the tribe and the cultural rituals and the things like that, so I'm always visible. And I just love that that, love that phrase, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a leader of a tribe, you know? Yeah, fantastic. Leader of a tribe, yeah. That's so good. Corny, you're amazing. Well, <laughs> leave that in there. Play it over and over. I love that mutually agreeable as well. I mean, that has to be half the battle. If everyone's on the same page, then it makes life so much easier in a school. Yeah, you know, so, so everyone's different in a school. You, you can't just make a copy of what worked in a previous school and take that into a new school and expect it to work. You know, after I finished in Kuwait, um, we moved on to China. So I spent two years at a school in Shanghai. And I remember it was classic. I was on the, um, I was a, a middle leader, deputy head of secondary, and we'd have these SLT meetings. And the head of secondary was also new. He'd come from a school in Thailand. And almost every meeting was a classic. You know, he's, he's saying, look, sorry to say that this again, but in my other school, this is what we did, you know, and you, um, and, and sure, there are some things that are probably universal that, that'll work, but you just need to 
to, to adapt it for that local context and this idea of, you know, you've got different people in your school. What are the things that you, that you as a group of people, as a group of teachers, mutually agree upon? What, what are the, the things that are important, important to us? So you um, said you were doing this masters when you were a brand new kind of leader. So what would be one piece of advice you would give to a brand new leader? Uh, don't do a masters and start a family <laughs> at the same time. That's yeah. a good piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. So I really struggled to finish it. Like I, I had chosen, it was really difficult doing it by distance. So I was, uh, doing a uh, doing it through University of Otago, so all distance papers. I had a supervisor. We didn't really have. The, I mean, we had Skype, but it was pretty rubbish, and so didn't have that chance to have those discussions. So like, I, I missed out on that. And and I think probably as you go through it and talk with different guests, I think probably a real benefit of the process was having those dialogues with with the supervisor and those in depth discussions and really chewing through some of the sticking points of of the, um, the thesis of where you're at and, and you're thinking around the issue that you're studying. So I didn't have that. And then, you know, I'm in a foreign country and we've got different time zones. So that was difficult. Didn't have these great technology tools like we do now. And, and yeah, it was always, there was no definite finish date. It's not like the semester two paper finishes on October the 17th. It was just like, when you're ready to submit your thesis, just submit it. So that was, that didn't work for me at all because it took me, you know, two and a half years to get it done. It was always one of those things, oh, yeah, I'll come back to it, I'll come back to it. So I found that really, really, um, really challenging. So um, obviously, fast forwarding 15 years from when you kind of did this thesis, um, just interested kind of what's going on for you at the moment. So what does the future hold um, and what projects are you wanting to tell people about? Yeah, so I started on a really exciting project this year with the Google Innovator Academy, and that was just a real um, awesome, the most awesome learning experience I've had professionally. Just really good to get in the room with all those quality people and um, and, and just th there was no expected outcome. It wasn't like you've got to finish this by this sort of date. It's like, you know, we're going to put all this support around you and tell you about this process and tee you up with this mentor. But it it, it, yeah, I, I just really enjoyed the, the flexibility of that. So obviously that's, um, we, we do have another few months of that program um, to run and I'll, hopefully I'll be able to still keep involved in that program, maybe as a, a mentor um, further down the track. Um, but at the moment, I've just taken over the leadership of um, a smaller department in our school. We've got a project-based learning class um, in our school here. So um, that's quite exciting. So I, when I left the international school scene i came back to, to just being a teacher didn't have any leadership or management role and i've picked up a few bits and pieces over the years and and now this is the first time that i'm i'm back to uh, managing people a pretty small number of people you know it's a small department but yeah um really looking forward really looking forward to that challenge and then yeah personally finished a renovation on a house just this week the concrete driveway has been poured and it's all done nice uh, and, and so that has been a long um process so just now can sit back and enjoy life at the beach <laughs> well, hey. on just, the weekend. In just in time for summer awesome yeah. okay okay so what did you think about um andrew's research so I thought it was really interesting. I thought even though it was written kind of 15 years ago, still very much speaks to a lot of the work around culture that's being done in schools today. What did you think? 
Yeah, like I think, um, it, you know, it's really interesting that at the moment, you know, there's a huge focus on like staff well-being and how do we how do we create cultures where people feel valued and looked after. So, you know, as you say, even 15 years later and, you know, his piece of work being done in Kuwait, like it's still super relevant to today. And yeah, I think we just need to, because all of us are leaders in some ways, right? Yeah, and I think that was really interesting in terms of the principals obviously have a huge role to play, but that kind of needing to trickle down into staff feeling like they have a role as well and they can like have opinions and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Top takeaways from Andrew's work is, um, I guess, lead the way, be the person that you want to see in others, um, model that behaviour, model those, those cultures, those expectations. Yeah, absolutely. And I think kind of, you know, that old kind of adage of like, be the change, um, both, both in terms of like with your colleagues and in terms of with your students. So that's what we have for today. Um, but if you'd like to continue the conversation over on Twitter at Master of One EDU, we'd love to hear what you thought of Andrew's research. So thanks for joining us. And thank you to Andrew. Um, join us next time for another spotlight or some on some great research. Subscribe to have our latest episodes come straight to your inbox. And we're always looking for awesome educators to share their research and join us. So if you're an awesome educator or you know someone, go to our website and nominate them to come on the show.